Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Strength in the Numbers. I'm really excited to share with you an interview I recorded together with Phil Quinn during the summer. And although Phil trained in accounting and finance, he's actually currently the chief operating officer of one of Europe's most popular sports clubs, or in this day and age, we should say maybe sports brands. And with the recent happenings of the last couple of years, you can imagine the, the challenges such an environment has had on the PL of such sporting organizations. So Phil is very open about some of the challenges that he had to face. And given his role is not just finance, but also the day-to-day operations of the sports organization, we delve into to how some of those were solved in a practical way and also perhaps how the organization might actually might become more resilient and stronger into the future. Another key thing that comes out of this conversation with Phil is not just his passion for the sport of rugby but just sport in general and I think it takes a a special type of person to operate with all that pressure because not only have you got to deliver strong financials for club members but you've also got the playing staff coaching staff you've got supporters sponsors third parties suppliers other people associated with the club there's just so many stakeholders to keep happy and Phil shares how he managed to go about that. Also how he had to adjust being off-site and how he handled working from home and the sort of the return to work during that period. And he was also happened to be the COVID manager as well for the organisation. Phil was also the acting CEO during a very key period for the club. So we also explore what that actually involved, a, a taste of having that CEO role and how it differed from just being a finance or operating officer. I thoroughly recommend you listen in to this one. And if you want to learn more about Phil, some of his key quotes, the timestamp show notes, as well as a full transcript of our conversation, you can find that and more at sitnshow.com. And we always really appreciate it when you recommend the show to your friends and colleagues. We're on all the major platforms. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So that's enough from me. So without further ado, over to Phil and the show. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy, and delighted to be on the show, and thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure, finally, because you had a busy few years, a lot going on, and I know we've chatted previously, so really excited to bring you to our audience. But before we get there, would you mind maybe introducing a bit about yourself and your background and journey in accounting and finance, please? Yeah, sure. So it goes right back to college for me, to be honest, and back into school. For some reason, business and accounting was, I specialized in it from about fourth year in school, from 16 years of age. I knew I was going to be an accountant and might come across as quite sad, but that was just me and numbers and everything. And when I left school, I went straight into UCC, University College Cork, where I did a degree in accounting. While a lot of my classmates would have gone down the route of going into the big four, going into the auditing side of things, that was never for me. And I ruled it out quite early and I went straight into industry. 
So alongside doing my CMA exams, I worked in the motor industry. I worked in the pharma industry for a couple of years. So I worked down with Eli Lilly. I worked in the oil industry, working with ConocoPhillips. It was probably at that time then I needed to decide where did I want to go career-wise. The key thing for me is when I was starting off, it was usually about two years in each role. And it was all about, okay, what experience can I pick up here? How can I develop and broaden it? And each role kind of was a stepping stone for me. But it got to the stage in ConocoPhillips whereby I had to decide, okay, do I want to go down the multinational route where I'm going to travel all around the world? Because look, there isn't that many senior roles in Ireland. Am I going to stay in Ireland and look at various opportunities? So made the decision at the time to stay in Ireland, moved from the refinery of Whitegate to Reox Holdings, part of the Dairy Gold Group. So was there for a short period of time. And then a role came up at Munster Rugby. So it was only six months into my time in, in Dairy Gold Stroke Reox and a finance manager role came up at Munster. And for somebody who's extremely passionate about all sports, to be honest, the opportunity to combine that with accounting was, for me, it was my dream job. So look, I put my CV in at the time, that was back in 2006. And three interviews later, and a lot of surprise on my front, I came out with the finance manager role. So joined Munster in 2006. At the time, quite a small organization, the two of us in the finance department, turnover of four or five million, but rugby had only become professional about 10 years earlier. So it was growing significantly at the time. And 15 years later, here I am still in Munster Rugby and my role has changed significantly over time. There's been increases in headcount, decreases in headcount. We've had, I'd say, three restructurings over time. My role was expanded at one stage to include operations. So that would have been overseeing both stadia. So we have two stadiums in Munster Rugby, which is very unusual for a sporting team. But our main one is in Limerick, it's Tolman Park, a capacity of about 26,000. We have a second one in Cork, which is Musgrave Park, and a capacity of about 8,000. So play all our big games in Tolman, but then we have another stadium in Cork where we play smaller ones. So my role is expanded to um, manage along with our stadium directors in both facilities, making sure that everything we do on match day and non-match day was up to the required standard. Would have also included IT as part of my role, so overseeing that. We have no internal IT resource, so tends to all fall on my head at times, but obviously we have some external supports that we lean heavily on. And then it expanded, I suppose, further then in terms of going into even the strategic planning process. So I'd oversee our strategic planning process across the club, the risk management, and player and coach contracting. It's something that's been very interesting for me to get involved in, especially on the rugby side, but I'd be heavily involved in that over the years and especially in the last couple of years as well. And Luckily for me, now the circumstances were very difficult. Our previous CEO got sick. So I stepped in as our acting CEO for a period of 15 months. Um, our CEO at that time then retired. Um, so I was the interim between Gareth Fitzgerald, our previous CEO, who subsequently unfortunately passed away earlier. Our last year, I'm nearly losing track of time. Um, so Ian Flanagan, our new CEO, has come in and I've moved formally into the COO, then the chief operating role. So it's an extremely varied role. And as I said, 15 years on, here I am still a monster, but still very hands-on on the finance side. We do have a finance manager, Killian Kenny, and his team. But obviously, recently, we've all, it's been hands-on for everyone on the finance side. Isn't it really interesting, just within one club, one team, there's been so much growth opportunity for you, Phil, to try out different things and even become acting CEO for a period of time. Are there any sort of particular memorable experiences that stand out for you that really impacted the way you see the world now in your career and your role in it? Huge number. There's been like every single year brings different challenges in Monster. And look, there's huge ups and there's huge downs. And 
the weight of expectation that we feel as Munster staff is unbelievable because we're a small club, um, but we have a fantastic support base who expect us to be winning every year. And it's no different to some of the premiership soccer clubs. And that weight of expectation, I suppose the knowledge that everything we do, if we don't do things right, it impacts everything on the pitch. And that impacts everyday life for some people because they're so engaged with Munster. Munster is a massive part of their life. And if Munster Rugby are not performing on the pitch, it puts them in bad form. So the knowledge there that you work hard, you get things right and things are going right, you can impact so many different people, but it brings a huge amount of pressures. Looking back in terms of what are the highlights, there's been so many highlights for us. I joined in late 2006, so we had just won our first European Champions Heineken Cup as it was at the time. We won again in 2008. That was a fantastic experience. We redeveloped our stadium in Cork. We opened a new high-performance training center in University of Limerick, a state-of-the-art three-floor training facility that's dedicated to us in conjunction with the University of Limerick. But the big standout for me over the 15 years is definitely the redevelopment of our main stadium at Solon Park. And we did that between just when I came in 2006, the project had just started. We completed in 2008. So that was expanding the capacity from 13,000 to 26,000. Our old stadium didn't have any corporate boxes, corporate facilities, so it was bringing all of those into play. I suppose it all culminated then in 2008 when we opened the stadium and had New Zealand's biggest team coming to Thoman Park. And there's always a story told how Munster beat New Zealand, the All Blacks, back in 1978. And here we were 30 years on having them back in Thoman Park. And unfortunately, we were just beaten by a late try by New Zealand. But even come to that, it's just hosting that and being so proud of what we could do as Munster Rugby, attracting the best team over and hosting what we thought was an absolutely amazing experience, 26,000 capacity crowd, and just the event itself. As I say, our match day experience is all about our supporters. We don't do anything special in terms of what we bring to the table. It's what our supporters always bring to the table. And that night was truly unbelievable and it'll always stick with me. Yeah, it's weird how even if in a defeat, the night was so memorable and there was so much positive that came from it. I do remember the night in question and probably our audience know that I'm a big Munster fan myself and we boast about it, but I actually think it's backed up by numbers as well. Munster are the best fans, I believe. I'd have to agree with you on that front. Even going before I joined Munster, I was part of the supporters club. I was one of the early members of the supporters club, so I used to travel all over Europe with the team, but... The interesting thing is, yes, when we're drawn against certain teams in European competitions and we travel away from them, the other teams are delighted because of our travelling support. And it's not only those travelling from within the Munster region going abroad, but it's the amount of Irish that are, whether it's in the UK or France or anywhere where we play matches, that follow us and come to the games. And look, it ends up in sellout crowds for the, the home team, which is great for them, but the atmosphere we can create and what we bring. And it's just that belonging, the sense of belonging. I think it's something... We all want in our lives to belong to something and be part of something. And it's not something we take credit for ourselves in Munster Rugby. It's just something that's grown. It's down to our support base and the spectators and everyone really who's part of Munster. And do you feel like it added pressure then to you and the rest of the team there? Feel an added pressure having to deliver good results, not just financially, but also from a, a playing perspective for the support base? And then on the other hand, having that pressure, making sure that the decisions are financed appropriately, so the playing resources and playing teams and coaches are in the best position possible to deliver for the supporters too. Completely. It's a massive pressure. I know from talking to our coaching tickets, they live it every single day of the week. 
and it's so public facing. Ireland is a small country, so there's a lot written about professional sports as a result. Besides, if we lose a game, it's like the world is coming to an end at times, and it just adds a bit of pressure the whole time. So it can be stressful, and how you manage that is key. You can bring it to a positive as well in terms of because we're quite high profile here in Ireland, and that we have great crowds, which brings in the money and everything around it, but that level of expectation weighs heavily on everyone, including the players. And they've spoken about it, the history of Monster, the expectation where we have to win trophies. And it's been a long time since we've won a major competition. So it's at the forefront of everything we do in our strategic planning. How are we going to get to this stage? And like, it's sport. It can be won by the bounce of a ball. And it can be extremely cruel, as we've seen in penalty shootouts, in the Euros, and all of these kind of things. So a lot of the time, you can do everything right off the field. But an injury or the bounce of the ball goes the wrong way or a refereeing decision, everything falls apart not achieving your strategic objectives but that's why we love sport as well that's and it's something having worked in i suppose multinationals pharma to have this passion and have the ups and I, personally i don't think i could recreate it in any role that's why like when i came in day one i, I remember speaking to our ceo at the time and every year phil how long do you think you'll stay here and we had that conversation every year it became a bit of a running joke at the end because I was just so engaged with everything. It was my passion. Now, the one thing you have to do when you combine your passion with your job is you have to find something else outside of it because you don't switch off. And it is a 24-7 job, especially like COO, CEO roles there. You are constantly switched on. If you don't do something on a Saturday or a Sunday evening at nine o'clock at night, somebody else will. And whether that's a fair signing, and that's where the expectation, the pressure can come at times. But on the other side, the returns are just massive. I've heard loads of people say, if you enjoy your job, it doesn't feel like a job every day. That's definitely the case for me. Are there things I don't like doing in my job? Of course there is. But getting up every morning, there's the energy there. I'm looking forward to the day ahead, completing tasks, getting things done, engaging with all our stakeholders. We're lucky with a huge volume. Like, our staff, we've about 90 to 95 staff. We've got another 60 players, including our senior and academy players. So we're a small club, small organization, but we're driven by our volunteers. So we have volunteer structures and we have treasurers, boards, all of that. But there's so many people that can add so much value, even past players staying involved with the club on various committees that can guide you in the right direction, we have the experience. So as an overall collective, it works really well. And there is people then to take some of the pressure off because, as I said, making the decisions as a collective makes it a lot easier and taking into account everyone's experience and knowledge is massive. It's great that you've got all that resource to, to draw on. Phil, it comes across in your energy, like you absolutely love your job. Really appreciate you sharing that because we've not had many guests on the show that have come from a sports team background from a finance perspective. So appreciate you say that, but you also noted on it's important to have something else outside so you can switch off as well, because it seems like otherwise it could be very consuming, although enjoyable, but there's other people in your life as well. So how do you switch off from that and get the balance? That for me was something I've definitely, I've been challenged for years. My kids are now age six and eight, but I found even when they were born, there's some days it will still happen where I'm not switched on with them, especially with the remote working that you've got your laptop upstairs and you're said, I'm at home four days a week. And when you go back down to the kids, you're still thinking work. And it's how to really switch off and be able to know that. This is where we get into the plug line of things. We run a Munster Rugby High Performance Leadership Program. Okay, So with the view of diversifying our revenue, we've tried various initiatives. And this leadership program is about how we bring, I suppose, what we learn in sport to business. They are so intertwined. And um, you speak about the legacy book from New Zealand, where it's 
what they learn in sport and how that can be applied to business. And that's what we do on it. I was lucky enough to be able to go on it last, just before COVID. I had been scheduled to go on it the previous year, but unfortunately, the acting CEO role, it just wasn't an option. But on that really was about how you manage yourself. It's more yes, okay. awareness for me, okay? That noticing little triggers saying, I know I'm stressed, whether that is not sleeping, whether it could be just not feeling fantastic. And it's literally being able to notice the triggers and then take action, whether that is going for a walk, going for a run. Since I've done that course, I'm exercising most days. So when I start every morning, I get up, it's half an hour run or it's a hit session or some bit of exercise because it just puts me in the right frame of mind when I sit at my desk. And personally, I play like golf as well, but when time allows with young kids and everything. But that's another one where I find once I go to the golf course, I jaw for four hours. I can focus on that, focus on the competitive side. As I say, there's no thinking work or anything to them off it. So they're the kind of times when I manage to switch off, but I don't always do it very well. I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. I couldn't agree more. Awareness is, is super important, particularly of, of self and uh, having those routines as well to level set at the start of a day very important i've actually read a great plug on the legacy book as well fantastic book i know i've mentioned it on the show before we've had other people mention it as well i'll put that into the show links and also about the high performance program as well i've heard great things about that but not had the pleasure myself of being on it but switching it back i was wondering i had read somewhere about transitions in between meetings because you said about working from home and working remote and being difficult to switch off. I actually found it difficult switching between different meetings and calls. Then we figured out a way of maybe, how do you say, finishing meetings five minutes before an hour or a half hour, or if it was an hour-long meeting, finishing it 10 minutes earlier, and then using that time in between to figure out and transition to the next block of work. Very hard to go from, say, a meeting to then some strategic work, and then back onto a meeting. How have you managed the work from home environment yourself? And then, I suppose, looking forward, with things opening back up again, that must be great for you as a finance leader of a sporting organization. There must be good optimism about the future as well. Yeah, I suppose first to deal with how do I move between meetings? And we're lucky in the environment where I spoke about the expertise available to us. One of the things once COVID hit, our sports psychologist, Peter Kruger, who just wow. worked around the pro team, did work with our senior management team. So he did a couple of sessions about how to manage during COVID, not only managing your staff but also managing yourself one of the big things for him was do it in 50 minute blocks okay so don't have a full hour 50 minutes 10 minutes walk around for five minutes okay get off your chair sit look breathe in and switch off and then come back then you've got your five minutes to prep for your next meeting and off you go so it's all around your time management it's making sure your schedule is clear that when you're planning things you're not doing complete back to back from nine to five we all do it and i'm not saying that I'm brilliant at scheduling my meetings. No, I'm not. At times I'm going straight through on meetings and you don't have time for lunch. But if you can really plan it well, and everyone's in the same boat at the moment. There's very few people who are back in an office environment. Most people are working from home. So everyone appreciates it. And if you're even saying, look, I have a meeting in 10 minutes. Can we shortcut this, finish it a bit earlier? There's never an issue. We all understand. So it's just getting that discipline is the key thing. Yeah, it does, it does seem a lot more appreciation about where people are coming from and the confidence out there to say, look, guys, we need to start wrapping this up 10 minutes before the hour or whatever. People are getting that a lot more. And then I suppose looking towards the future, what's exciting you most about your current work at the moment? Look, if you asked me that question about 18 months ago, it would have been completely different. Um, the last 16 months, from a sporting perspective, have been unbelievably tough. We've seen our income decimated, so we are heavily reliant on gate income. We'd have gate income five to six million a year, which for us is a massive part. It's about 40 to 50% of our overall turnover. That's gone. And 
as a result we've had to go through cost cutting restructuring the same as any other business out there and during that period we're still playing matches so one of the roles i've inherited i was our covid manager as well and still am at the moment so we had to make sure we had all the processes protocols in place over the last 15 months to allow us to continue playing matches and that's our weekly pcr testing so dealing with the results of that and we're now looking to now where we finally think we can get crowds back and Ireland's a small bit behind some other nations in terms of test event crowds we also the Euros the soccer where you had full capacity in Wembley for the finals we're just at the early stages we had three and six thousand at the Aviva for the two Irish rugby matches there in early July we have GA matches so local matches and we're starting to expand our capacity our first game of the season kicks in early September so we're hoping that will be our first test event where we to 8,000 at it. Again, you've all got your social distancing, one meter social distancing and planning around that. And then hopefully by the end of the year where we get back to close to full capacity. This is all subject to COVID. It's completely uncertain. It makes planning a nightmare from a finance perspective, from an operational perspective, from everything. Because at the start of COVID, we did a huge amount of planning on all different scenarios. And we realized, to be honest, you're wasting your time because things are changing by the week and you're wasting huge amount of staff resources here planning. We all like to plan. But it has to be realistic plans, and especially when people were already stretched in their roles. Going to that level of plan just wasn't an option. So stepping back, what's exciting right now is definitely getting crowds back into our stadium. Um, looking at September and saying, finally, we'll have people back. I've been in the stadium all year. I've been fortunate to be in there as the COVID manager because it's very limited that's been in there. But 26,000 capacity stadium with nobody inside there and all you're hearing is the subs and the team management cheering on each side. It's just surreal, to be honest. And as I say, Munster is hugely dependent on our support base. That's what gets us over the line. Our players have said it down the years, our team management, our coaches. And there's been games this year that we've narrowly lost out that we feel if we had our crowds, we'd have won that game. So for us, it's really exciting from a financial perspective, firstly, which is most important. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough talking to a finance leader like yourself, Phil, because yes, obviously you're a fan, so you get the, the sporting results side, but also there's the money side as well. It's like, yeah, it'd be nice to have that bit of income and it, from the fans being back. But For us, it's so interrelated, okay? Yeah. If we win on the pitch, more money comes in, more people come it's... to our matches and everything kicks on. You lose, it goes the other way. That makes it very difficult when you go down the cost-cutting route and having to go through restructure because there gets to a point where... As I said, what we do on the pitch determines our financial success. And if you cut back too much on your core product, your core looks same as any other business on that, it, you suffer from a revenue perspective. So there's a certain level at which you can't go lower than that without impacting our whole model. Because what you'll find is, especially as an accountant, you take 10% off your costs and suddenly your revenue is down by 20% because your hospitality, your gate income and everything. So it's trying to find that balance between the two, which is extremely difficult at times, because as I say, it's a downward spiral. If you go down that route of taking too much out of your, especially the professional game, but equally so our rugby development, which is the underage structures right throughout the province. It's the longer term planning. We're completely yeah. reliant on players coming through the monster system. We're very proud of where we're at because over the last few years, we've improved that. We have more players now in the coming season in 21, 22, who've come through monster system than we've had in the last six or seven years so that's a huge thing that we know we have to have because that's our connection with our supporters and our community so investment at underage teams and our academy level is absolutely critical in addition to the the professional side 
Yeah, it's preparing the ground for the future, keeping those connections in there with the community and then making sure on the playing side and the business side, it's a lot to manage. I can see why you enjoy your job so much and I think that's come across with our audience. So I just want to say thanks for giving us such great advice, but I'm also curious to know what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? The biggest thing, I suppose, really, it's about be yourself. Probably authentic is the buzzword at the moment that's out there, okay? But it is true. It's about... Don't be trying to be something you're not. And for me, it's acknowledging we all have failings. We're all human beings. We can't be strong in every area. Yes, we can work on our weaknesses, but embrace your strengths. Find, get the right people around you who can make up for your shortfall or your weaknesses. That's the key thing. We're an organization that's all about our people. Everything we do is about our people. It's number one for us. On pitch, obviously, it's all about players performing, but off pitch, it's the exact same. So are we always true to that? No, we're not. We can improve as a club and as an organization and how we treat people and ourselves. But that is so important. So being yourself for me is absolutely critical. There's no hiding anything. You can be, as I keep saying, yourself, but it's just being true to yourself. You just reminded me, Phil, I was reading up about this guy called Tom Landry. He was a coach of the American football team, the Dallas Cowboys, I think for 29, 30 odd years. And he was innovative in the way that when he came in, a lot of the other coaches at the time were looking at uh, the plays where they made mistakes, going back over the videotape and saying, we made a mistake here, we made a mistake there, whatever. Tom Landry came in and he goes, I only look at winning plays and we do more of the winning plays. And he focused on his people and he looked at their strengths. So he just kept focusing on people's strengths. So it was just that awareness people being true to their strengths but people first approach sounds like a very good recipe for an enjoyable career and i can see it in your enthusiasm for monster and your work that comes across so i really appreciate you sharing that advice no Um, it's the positivity look i am naturally a very positive person and we all make mistakes everybody makes mistakes it's about dusting ourselves down or dusting your staff members down not being too hard on them but just go again let's go stronger let's come back stronger and as a team, Monster, we've had a lot of downs, okay, whether it's been on the pitch and off the pitch, and it's about how we come back. It's resilience, bounce back, and give it everything. And once you've given it everything, I can say safely, on the pitch and off the pitch, we've given it everything this year. We came up short in various competitions, but that's life. Yeah, that's all you could ask for of yourself and those around. You've given it your best, and it's the same in the finance department. Sometimes we'll nail the plan, sometimes we won't. But you know what? As long as you've given everything, play to our strengths, that's all you can ask for. Actually, you just reminded me also that one of our favourite books, the, the legacy one about the All Blacks, even the best team in the world internationally, they only win 80% at the time. That's the best in the world. And they also have a really great chapter on authenticity as well. So again, that's another plug for that book. Which brings me to my next question, Phil. Any resources you can recommend our audience go check out? Uh, legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, for me, I know it as the other blacks book. That's what I refer to it. So yeah. I sometimes say legacy. I kind of question, what are you talking about? But I have it on my locker and I don't read very often. I'll be honest. I'm very active and trying to do things, especially with young kids and everything. But when I do get time, just refreshing myself on some of those things. Yeah. One of my favorites is definitely in the top 10 books for me. Phil, look, if some of Rodin's wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you? At? Um, you can connect via LinkedIn or I'm happy to share my email address as well. If anyone wants to make contact as well, there's no problem. Very open person. Anyone wants to chat or advice, feel free to reach out. Okay. Even for tickets, Phil, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Normally. Good. Thanks for the clarification. uh, Normally I'd be saying, no problem. Come to us. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. I got to say, yeah, we'll do a deal. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna have limited capacity. And um, even my parents, who are in their mid seventies, they travel to every single game. They've already been asking me, "Do we get to go to the first game?" And I'm saying, "I hope so," but I don't know whether I even have tickets for you because we need to it's take easy. care of the sponsor. Everyone who's taken care of us during the last eighteen months, who stuck with us, yeah. we want them in that stadium. We want them back in there, and it's just try to keep everyone happy. But it'll be a great place to get to. Yeah, no, exactly. Hopefully it's for not too long, but yeah, in normal times, just, oh God, yeah, we could do something for you on tickets or whatever, but it's just the way of the world at the moment and it's important to look after those that invested so much and felt that's really great advice there. We've covered loads of areas. Thank you so much for taking us through your career and what's exciting you most at the moment and just some of the challenges you guys have faced and overcome. Before we wrap up, do you have any other parting thoughts for our audience? No, look, the, the biggest thing for me is communication in an age now where everything is done digitally everyone's on their phone everyone's doing everything by email pick up the phone meet people face to face create those personal relationships because email can be taken out of context and i'd love to say i live by this all the time i don't because sometimes it can take 20 minutes to make a phone call whereas your email has gone off in 10 seconds but look at the long-term impacts of that and the personal connections you can need because it's all about people it's about communication goes back to having clear strategic plans, visions that everyone is aligned to, talking things through is the only way we need to do things. Awesome. I would love to explore that point with you further, Phil, but I know time is precious for us all. I really appreciate you making time for us today and coming on Strength of the Numbers Show. Not at all, Andy. It was a pleasure coming on and thank you for your time as well. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.